Good evening, footy fans. Welcome to the Big Footy Summer Series. We're back after a bit of an extended layoff. Today we will be discussing the, I suppose, the event that was AFLX. We will be ruminating on grassroots football and, in particular, the Tasmanian Football League situation. And we're also going to discuss Hannah Mouncey and her quest to be playing AFLW. My co-host, as usual, is Michaels, who is going to introduce a couple of very special guests. How's it going, the grill? You going well? Yeah, not too bad. Um, obviously had a bit of a uh, a trip away, and still coming to terms with back, getting back to work and getting back into um, society. So yeah, it's been yeah, a bit. Tell you what, we've got a, a pretty weird. cushy gig though. We've had two extended breaks in about three episodes, so we're doing all right. Quality, not quantity, I've always been told. <laughs> exactly. And this episode does promise to be quality, especially with the guests we've got lined up. This has been a long time in the making, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We've got two very strong opinionated people, which is good. It's a good thing to have opinions, so we always like that on Bigfooty. Uh, the first one we just found out before has a, a very interesting story. We might even ask him a bit more about it later on, potentially. He played cricket with Gary Ablett Senior, which we think is fascinating. And he's one of the, the most loved posters on the Richmond board. Snake Baker from North Melbourne, welcome to you. Uh, good afternoon. Oh, evening, fellas. How are you? I hope you're uh, all good and well. Yes, all good and well. I suppose it's almost still afternoon for the grill, given he's uh, in Perth. Yep, uh, 5.40 And our second guest has just retired from A-grade cricket and averages around 20, he reckons, but we are yet to confirm that. And he's the current (laughs) post of the year uh, winner on the Richmond board. Captain Blood 17, welcome. Hello, darkness, my old friend. How are we all? (laughs) Going well. Going well. Much different format to the Tiger cast that we're used to, CB, so we'll... uh, We'll just get our way well, through this. I started, well, I started the Tiger one off with a bit of Queen, so I figured I'd start off with a bit of a Peter Paul and Mary, whatever it was. So, yeah. <laughs> something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, something like <laughs> Very good. All right, and uh, yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll get through the topics first, but then yeah, I do want to ask Nate Baker a bit more about playing cricket with Gary Ablett Senior, because that's, um, that's a great story. I'm tipping there's plenty of great things you could tell us about that. Uh I've only played there one season at a particular club where he played and played a couple of games with Gary and it's fair to say he was unbelievable at everything he did. So uh, I, I think he would have been very good at any sport he did. Uh, he's a, a very unassuming bloke and, uh, you know, it sort of... Uh, I got the impression he never understood what all the uh, hype was about him and, uh, yeah, a very modest, sort of quiet bloke, but oh, athletically the bloke was a freak. It's funny, isn't it? Like you yeah. think someone in the limelight as much as him would realise and have a bit of an understanding of what was going on around him. So that's interesting to hear that he just really didn't kind of get it all. But yeah, no, not surprised to hear that he was a gun at everything he did. Uh, no, no. He, 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 he was just playing thirds down there uh, on the coast and a very social outlook to the game. I mean, he, when he got fair dinkum, he just decided he did 150-odd runs or something and pick up a few wickets. He... Uh, it was just very social to him. I don't think uh, uh, I found out that he, he wouldn't put himself up for awards or anything like that. He just enjoyed the social aspect of the game, which is uh, good to see. But uh, you know, you think uh, with driven sportsmen like him, you, you, can you? You can only wonder what he could have been if he had been really driven at anything. Yeah. So yeah, great sportsman. Yeah. Very good. All right, Lagrill, I'll yeah. chuck it back over to you, and uh, we'll get stuck into it. Okay, so the last month or so has seen the AFL's pet marketing project, AFLX, run and won. Guys, what did we think about it? I'll kick it off with uh, Captain Blood 17. Uh, my impression was it should have been the actual, that's actually the game that should have launched women's footy, I reckon. Truth be known, if that makes me sound like a caveman, then I'm a caveman, but I think that type of package would have been better for uh, women's footy with the way it looked at it. And I think to, to I'm hold, getting... um, oh, sorry, <laughs> and and it's it just sort of like watching the basketball equivalent of football. That's what it sort of felt like to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from my point of view, I I for the first five minutes of the first half of the first game, 
I thought, oh, yeah, this is not too bad. It's pretty open. But then um, the players started to get a little bit more tired and it became what I feared it would become and just basically long kicks for goal, you know, back to back to back. And that's not really like that. I mean, that's not that's taking a big chunk out of what what is enjoyable about football. I mean, we saw a couple of big tackles, but um, getting back to your point, um, CB, big thing for me was the size of the ground. And that actually is, for me, one of the biggest biggest issues that the AFLW are finding with the scoring. And I'm not trying to be sexist. If it does come across that, that's not my intention. But with um, the ability to kick distances from the players in the AFLW is obviously not the same as the ones in the men's league. And I, so from what you were saying about the um, having that as the uh, AFLW, at least initially, that I, I think that was a really good idea. Well, it's um, a, a dear friend of mine. She's an ex-Opal basketballer. So she, she's very qualified to speak on women's um, sport. She, she's an absolute champion tiger. And um, it was the first thing that came out of her mouth was that it should have been the game for women's footy. That was her, and, and she sort of put her views across, and um, I found myself agreeing with my thought It was very, very mm-hmm. – she was bang on the money, truth you know. Yeah, yeah. Snake, uh, what do you think, mate? Well, I echo the sentiments of the uh, the other boys here that it would, would have been a good format for the ladies to try out. It's definitely slanted heavily in favour of particular types of players. As a traditionalist, I didn't like all the gimmickry that went with it, the razzle-dazzle they tried to put in. I did go to the game in Melbourne, just, and that'll be the only one I ever go to. Uh, I don't really see what the clubs could even get out of it as a uh, practice format, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne came along in, in the game we had there the other night, and uh, they were clearly pretty serious about it and picked the right side to, to win the competition. But, um, yeah, they... I think it's pretty limited. And again, I think it'd be a good idea to give that uh, format over to the ladies and uh, let them promote it and uh, would help them out the shorter ground and uh, the the, uh, smaller running type players that tend to be prevalent in that game would uh, be much better suited. Yeah. Michaels, mate, uh, anything to add? Uh, I I mean, I only really watched one of the Richmond games. Uh, I think the concept's got merit, but I just reckon it needs a few tweaks. Um, and like you said, as it got on, there was a lot more longer kicks, so it kind of defeated the purpose. But I wouldn't mind seeing scrapping the 10 points outside 40 and maybe rewarding marks closer to goal and having them as bonus points so you kind of get that stay-at-home four that the AFL are after. Um, but I'm interested to ask you, Snake, given you were at one of the games, what was it like having like six different sets of supporters there? Was that a bit weird to get used to? It was different looking around and four or five uh, cheer squads around the ground and the the teams all uh, lining up uh, and practising in the uh, area remaining outside the playing arena. Uh, The the fans all mingled in together. There was no great issues with with any of that. There was a lot of kids and mums and dads there. I don't think a lot of the hardcore supporters got along to the game. And uh, at $9 for a light beer, I don't blame them. (laughs) Well, (laughs) superannuation cash in for a beer and pie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, th- I thought yeah. of one concept though I, I thought of one concept for AFLX So what, the squads are what, 15? Is that, is that what they cap them at? 15 yes. per team? Something around I that think so. so I think it was, so one, it was 10 with 7 players uh, on the but I think the squads for the day Were 15 And then oh, you, that's right, yeah. then you yeah. do the team of 10 And then move from there But yeah, um so, so what if you went this? So, so what if you went? So you'd have ten. Each club would nominate ten players under twenty-three. Let's face it, no one's risking any of their guns over. So if the clubs used up to ten of their under twenty-threes, but then they could draft from a pool of either recently retired AFL players or um, from the Waffle VFL South Aussie League somewhere like that. So players could get a shot at it. You know, like um, a bit like IPL. Yeah, how, I how think would that, that work, you reckon? I like it. I think that, yeah, there needs to be that point of difference. I mean, there needs to be, like you said, the, the teams aren't going to um, risk their best players, but then there needs to be some other hook. Because, I mean, yes, playing the kids is fine and you'll probably get a little bit of initial initial interest in that because, I mean, everyone wants to see who's developing. But you need more of a draw card. 
you know, and whether whether it's you know they could pick from the AFLW because I mean, let's face it, I think I saw one tackle in all of the North games, um, and what a tackle that was, by the way. Um, but but oh, I, um, can, I, can, I can think of one AFLW player coming up that uh, could probably fit in there. Mate, uh, we'll, get we'll, get to, we'll get to that topic. We'll get to that topic. But I mean, like, but yeah, it needs some some other sort of hook, I suppose, some gimmick, some or not necessarily gimmick, but. Something I else. reckon the, uh, <laughs> the retired place is a good path because even, I mean, the Grill and Snake, you're both North Melbourne supporters, and Brent Harvey's obviously spoken about he'd be, I think, keen to yeah. play. If he was playing, tell me yeah. that wouldn't have drawn a heap more North people out to the game to watch. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, go, Snake. Go, mate. Sorry, mate. Um, I agree with that. That is a good, uh, a good format to take, and as I think it was uh, Captain Blood's idea of putting the under-23s out there. But listen, they are our best commodity. We don't want them on the park. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we, we don't have that luxury, mate. We're banking on the future. So, uh, but, uh, but, but do you think Boomer would have been great. I'll tell you what, you could chuck Jared Wade out there because his best football still ahead of him, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> but do you think the other thing, if, if, if you think it ties in as well, if, if the AFL is thinking about possibly entertaining a mid-season draft, imagine if, like, the next Michael Barlow got a crack at it during the AFLX where a, cl- a team could have a look at him, and then, you know, as injuries and things occur, all of a sudden mid-year he gets that opportunity, you know? I, I think yeah. one could tie into the other to some yeah, degree. I, I, I think agree. definitely with the non-AFL listed players and maybe a smattering of um, of of ex-players. But, I mean, at the same time, you don't want it to become like the um, the EJ Witten game where it's all, <laughs> you know, it's all like, yeah. you know, it's all old players. Um, but absolutely, yeah, even if it's, say, like, um, you know, even amateur players, like it could be, it could be just something some guy no one knows about puts his hand up like you're saying, like Barlow-esque and could kick off a, a career or at least, you know, get himself on a list or... Yep, that's what I reckon. That, that, that would make it interesting because there's, there's some bloody good footballers out there, you know, that, that we just don't get to see. You know, imagine some guy gets plucked from a studio in Western Australia or something. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even you could even do that uh, to replace the old Foxtel Cup and you could have a sort of like a round robin amongst all the... All the all the state league sides, like it would happen over three days, over a weekend, sort of similarly, and then you could play all together, and then it could be a bit of a showcase, and some players could take, you know, a big screamer or or um, you know, kick a, you know, really long goal, and it just might raise the eyes of the uh, recruiters a little bit. Well, that's yes, right. But fellas, how would how would a bunch of boys from the Tiwi Islands go playing that game? They would oh, be awesome. <laughs> be awesome. That that'd be something to see, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. so there there is there is that secondary competition element that they could perhaps bring in and play with the AFL sides. Yeah, bring back the Baringa Bullet. <laughs> Relton Roberts, he'll, he'll get a game, hundred <laughs> <Yeah. Right. laughs> percent. We all had him in our super catch team, boys. Don't deny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought I saw a photo of him. He's, I don't know if he'll have the mobility for AFLX, would he? Oh, he'll start his program now. He'll be right by the time it comes back in. <laughs> you would only you don't have to pay him in Macca's vouchers too. You wouldn't have to worry about finding money for him. If you're like a crocodile, mate, that first ten meters, bang! <laughs> oh, good times. And was there anything else that anyone didn't like about AFLX? It got it, to me. It did get a bit stale pretty quick. Like, like I said, just with the long kicking, and you know, it just started to be. You know, it wasn't the most. Uh, like, it wasn't really hard to sort of you know absorb a game. Like, well, sorry, it wasn't easy to absorb the game. Like, you know, where you watch a game of, you know, AFL, where you can sort of start to see trends and things like that, and it was like like it was it was almost and. This is going to sound harsh, but it was sort of glorified circle work. Mm. Oh. Well, and put it put it this way, mate. I watched I've watched nearly every, all the J the, what are the JST games, whatever they are, mate. I've like, yeah. anyway, I'm probably missing a half of the Melbourne and North Melbourne game. Watched everything else, and that held my interest because again, you're watching proper football. But this yeah. was just like it was like the cheeseburger. It was like a McDonald's version of the game. It just yeah, for me, it did nothing. Yeah, and I mean, look. I, it's 
when we spoke about the concept in a previous episode, it was sort of to me trying to sort of take the BAFL's version of 2020 cricket, where 2020 cricket is still the same game, but it has changed the game. Whereas AFLX, it just was, it looked too, um, what's the word I suppose I'm looking for? Just a bit too fabricated for me. Like just, yeah, like you said, the fast food version of the game, which is probably a apt description. Oh, I think we can all, um, I suppose, prepare ourselves to see another year of it at least. I reckon it's here to stay for another couple of years. I don't reckon they'll, yeah, they won't bail on it anytime soon, I don't think. No. I, no. As we move away, like, if it's it's the ideal game for kids, isn't it? That's what they're, they're really marketing, not for us old geezers, they're, they're really marketing it um, for the younger generation where it's less contact, you know, it's, it's done and dusted pretty quickly. It's, it's just where certain aspects of society are going and this game's going down that path as well, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Agree. All right, we'll push on to grassroots football and the state of the game. Obviously, one of the big talking points lately in the news has been the state of the Tasmanian football, the grassroots level, like with pathways to the AFL and lack of funding and things like that. Um, even speaking to Matthew Richardson the other day about it, he felt the biggest issue was simply a lack of money. Uh, I mean, everything else seems to look okay in Victoria and South Australia and WA, but grassroots needs to be supported in all areas. Uh, so, Snake, I'll start with you. Have you sort of got any thoughts about the, the State League affair in Tasmania? Is there is there a solution to try and get it back up to where it needs to be? Um, well, I've, I've got the uh, Future Directions uh, document in front of me uh, that the AFL had put together a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it really is a mess down there, and it... it, it I think it's deeper than just throwing money at the problem. I think uh, the competitions have fallen apart. As mu- It appears in about the 80s when money started to come into park football, as I noticed as well back then, uh, that uh, around that time the natural flow of Tasmanian football began to diminish and uh, the game uh, dropped off. And as I've uh, posted online, I mean, uh, the AFL in 2000 and football took complete autonomy of the game down there. In 2014, not earlier, and uh, there were uh, 106 clubs over 16 leagues uh, in a state like Tasmania at six and a half clubs a league. I mean, that's clearly untenable. It, I think it needs... Uh, the razor taken to it, to be honest, and, and uh, two or three competitions throughout the whole state, basically. Uh, there, there has to be a, a lot of money pumped into the main competition, the TSL, uh, the AFLW, of course, which could, I see, have a slingshot effect on getting more men back into the game, as well as the junior competitions, what they should primarily focus on, because it's going to take time to get it back up to scratch in Tasmania. I don't see it being a short-term solution down there. Um, uh, get, so a, a TAC Cup side. Uh, and and uh, North, as I see, is starting to uh, pick up Tasmanian kids uh, under 23, I think it is, and, and, and looking for them to play them in the VFL side. You'd hope to see that grow and Tasmania have its own one or two standalone VFL sides in, say, five years' time. In regards to uh, a Tasmanian uh, standalone club, it's clearly, looking through this report, it's just not on the board at all. Um, uh, the AFL are clearly targeting my club to make a, in their words, a real, genuine and lasting commitment to the state that Tasmanians would get behind North. I think that would take multiple generations, to be honest, but they're looking for a club to be there, according to this document, for 10 years. That's... Uh, uh, may happen. I think uh, Hawthorne are getting muscled out, considering we've got the uh, AFLW uh, uh, arrangement with the Tasmanian ladies, and uh, also the academies down there, and the pick of the uh, better academy players to bring them through the North Melbourne program. So it appears that the path is being set for North Melbourne to go down there and stand alone as a club for a while. I hope my club facilitates getting Tasmanian football back up and running. On its and on its own merits, but I think it's going to. I couldn't see a standalone club down there for at least ten years, at least. So you know, so, I reckon uh, that's where the AFL got it wrong by putting the Gold Coast in. I think it was a no-brainer to put Tasmanian in because they had the facilities, they had the supporter base. I mean, I know Hawthorne and North Melbourne have been down there, but 
I think it'd be safe to say that if a, a standalone club was put down there back when they did the Gold Coast, all those supporters would have migrated over to follow a Tasmanian team without doubt. It just seemed like a, a really obvious and easy solution, but they chose to put it up in a touristy part of the the country. And there's already been, what, three teams that have failed, like the, the Gold Coast Titans, the Blaze, um, and now it's looking worse and worse for the Suns. Yeah, I think also um, with that, I mean... Snake rightly pointed out that it's not just a money issue, but the big difference between Tasmania and the Gold Coast in terms of if we're talking overall game development is that Tasmania is a heartland football state. So if there is the facilities there, the participations may be higher. The the you know, the um even the participation in adult grade leagues could be higher just because there's that AFL buzz and there's that infrastructure around it. Uh, and, like, I mean, we are, I mean, we're, while we're obviously trying to say that it's not just a money thing, the $25 million that has been poured just recently for for the Gold Coast, would that, would, would that be any difference if we had that in Tasmania? Probably not. And potentially in terms of, um, again, participation, it's possibly a um, probably would have had greater dividends than trying to expand into a market where it's been proven time and time again can't sustain sporting teams. Yeah, Captain Blood, what about you, mate? Well, I think Snake's um, absolutely nailed it. It was fantastic what he just said. He's bang on. Um, what I would just this going, well, I'm betting on a rant, but I'm just going to talk about a couple of things. Um, I reckon what I would love to see is uh, down the line is a is a mod, is a podcast by uh, you good folks um, inviting Tasmanian people involved in Tasmanian footy and do a forty minute conversation about it. Um, you know, there's got to be some people posting on our boards that have a very very good idea about the, the, the plot of it and could offer really good insight into the state of Tasmanian footy. And I'd love to hear from... I'd actually love to hear from the from the grassroots people involved in Tasmanian footy. I think it'd be wonderful to listen to. Um, I think it's sad that potentially we've now seen the best of Tasmanian footy for decades. Uh, when you think of what Tasmania has given to the league and given, it, given to us as viewers and uh, football fans, I think it's quite sad where it's at right now. Um, but like I said, that's you guys have covered off pretty much everything that I could possibly talk about Tasmanian footy. But... I'll talk to you about regional football. And um, I would just like to say that it's fake news when you hear about um, Gill and the boys and everyone saying the health of the game's never been better. I can tell you from a regional perspective, um, particularly through the under-16s, the, the, the under-16s age group is a very uh, very tough age group to fill for a lot of country areas. I don't know if it's like Metro, um, but it is an age group that's dying, which is impacting 18s and through to seniors. And um, there are leagues winding up. Oh, no, there's, there's already another league which will be winding up within the next two years down here through Gippsland, um, a very old traditional league. And um, football, regionally-wise, is very, very sick. So don't believe the fake news, guys. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in a bit of strife. And, like, this is probably going to sound really, um, I suppose, criticising for the sake of criticising, but they can. the AFL did obviously would have put a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of effort into AFLX. If you if you diverted those resources to your suburban clubs and to Tasmania and to even local clubs across the country, we could have had, again, a greater effect overall. I mean, I understand that, um, you know, the money's in the TV viewing and, you know, obviously you're not going to get, you're not going to see that as a dividend when, you, when you're investing in the... Um, in the um, suburban leagues, but at the same time, those clubs need to be there to develop the next generation of players. And it just seems like the commercial ends are probably, I mean, probably unarguably, uh, starting to outweigh the the good of the game, um, so to speak. Well, the problem is the world has changed, right? And... um like I've, I've, I'm stepping out of coaching footy this year. I'm having a breather, and I've just come off. I've been coaching footy and cricket for a few years now in ju- junior levels, and um, 
the, the there is so much more for young people to do now than when we were growing up, obviously. And there just isn't enough being thought about or put in there to make the game attractive to the under 16s, under 18s. The, the kids, they're walking away from the game, you know? It's, and it's, um, it, it is quite concerning. It is quite concerning. And, um, yeah, I don't know. They, they, they really need to think long and hard about what they're going to do because, um, Maybe that's what AFLX is, mate. Maybe that's what brings him back. I don't know. Captain yeah. Blood, if I can ask you a question about the regional footy, mate. Yes, um, uh, do you think you have the numbers in the regional towns now that you once had to get kids playing footy? I would say in a lot of these towns, you know, I get up through the Mallee and that quite a bit. They're, they're shrinking towns, these places. They, they, they the are, kids mate. Have to come from a long way away to play for a club. They're doing this already to fill the senior sides. So... I just don't think that you may not have the amount of kids to play the game that were once available in the in the smaller country towns. That is a very good point, mate. It is a very and that is true. It's um, like you look here in Latrobe Valley, for example. Like we haven't seen the true impact of um, the closure of Hazelwood yet, um, but that's coming. Yeah, you know, we've lost thousands of jobs there. Um, so even a, in a traditional, a strong sporting base that is the Latrobe Valley, um, that will be impacted down the line as well. And, and you're right, people, they have to leave to, to get jobs and get work. And the kids are leaving. There isn't there isn't that much here for them now, you know, it's, and it's tragic. Yeah. Well, it comes back to the clubs and the, and the ability of the league to consolidate and keep themselves up and running to the extent that they become amateur uh, associations either, you know, to even, uh, you know, because of just the ability to pay players to play for some clubs in the senior footy, uh, it's killing these small clubs. Oh, and there's stupid money out there too. There, there are kids now that are 17, 18 getting paid. Yeah, it's absurd. You know, and it's, it's absurd. It is. It is absolutely absurd. It's crazy. Well, it's yeah. We, we definitely need a solution to it. So hopefully, all these areas can get back on track and we can keep the you know the good talented kids coming through the system. Because yeah, it's. it's if the good, talented kids aren't coming through, then the game as a whole suffers at the highest level. I mean, none of us want that to happen. We don't want a worse Premier thread getting uh, getting on the main board, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, yes. Mate, have any thoughts on that? I mentioned the war. Oh, you know what? Yeah. You know what? Launch it. You left a clip too much out of the interview, fellas. So. <laughs> we got thirty minutes in. We did really well. <laughs> Let's keep it that way, eh? <laughs> Okay, for for all the crap that Snake cops, you needling him. You, you know, you bring it up. Like, you know, it's not as though he's just an unwarranted shot. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's like, all a bit of fun. We all love it. Michael's told me to say it. Oh, don't <laughs> drop me in it. You fellas, it's water off a duck's back for me. We probably should have better things to talk about, that's all. It's all a bit of a laugh. It's, yeah, it's good fun. Oh, I like uh, Gold Coast, where they at? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, they're, they're a potential growth market like LeGrill stated and I think <laughs> from a business perspective that's why they've got a team and Tasmania doesn't which is pure oh. economics with the AFL they're business people forget about football they're business <laughs> people we're the hard, hard people that keep the game <laughs> it's a lovely holiday spot but, and I can tell you when I'm there I'm not thinking about football so <laughs> yeah, um, correct. That's, I think that's the biggest problem Okay, I think we probably should uh, try to, you know, wrestle this uh, show back into some semblance of um, sensible ability, I guess. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to our last um, topic of the of the show, and this is probably a topic that we really everyone has an opinion on. But I know in my case, I don't have the knowledge to really make a definitive decision one way, and I think that lack of knowledge is shared, whether people like to admit to it or not, amongst the uh, the greater football public. And it's obviously um, Hannah Mounty's um, quest to play AFLW. Um, at the moment. You're asking us? <laughs> we are discussing the situation. Um, she's obviously been uh, granted uh, to play in the VFLW league, and... I want, I suppose, let's have a discussion about that. I mean, let's, 
Personally, I'll probably kick it off with my own thoughts. Um, I think in this debate, there isn't really a bad guy. I mean, a lot of people are going to heap, heap criticism on the AFL for giving her permission to play in one league but not the main league. Um, people are going to say, well, she shouldn't be playing. And that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinions. But I think this is one of those unique situations where there isn't a right answer and the only way we can get the right answer is through research and through knowledge. And um, I believe Snake has prepared some uh, information to share with us all. So, Snake, take it away. Okay, doke I'm uh, not a fan of uh, transgender males uh, playing in the women's comp. I've got, I'll put my hand up straight away. And just, I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of the AFLW to start with. But then ended it. See it turned around now and be compromised like this makes it. Uh, pretty farcical in my opinion i happen to have the for good fortune to uh, have an appointment with an endocrinologist last friday and i uh, this is a bloke that's been doing it for 30 odd years and i asked him uh, a couple of questions about uh, the physicality uh, involved in this i won't name the man because uh, you know he, uh, it was a private conversation but uh, people can choose whether to believe me or not but uh, basically i asked him a few questions and he's uh, response was that a, a post-puberty uh, male that undergoes uh, female gender reassignment through hormone treatment uh, still has basically the male physiological scaffolding in place, particularly the skeleton, which is uh, five kilos heavier than, in a man in general than a woman. Uh, this does not regress. And uh, it, it, you're talking about nine kilos up against about 14 which is a significant ratio uh, also the uh, scaffolding for uh, muscle mass stays in place it does regress under hormone treatment but it stays in place i believe there'll be too many physical advantages uh, to a transgender male playing against women and i think it's wrong uh, to do this to women i do support a, an afl transgender competition uh, an afl x type format until they get the numbers up and running uh, i've got no problem with uh, transgender people personally that, that how they choose to live their life or their sport but to uh, take transgender males and uh, place them in women's uh, football is disingenuous that's post-pubescent treatment uh, pre-pubescent i think there's a whole lot of other issues involved even if it can occur for somebody that's like 12 or something like going through gender reassignment but uh, in, uh, for grown uh, people that have basically uh, gone through puberty then engaging in this, there's a significant uh, physical advantage in a contact sport. I've got a couple of journals I've flicked through, one being the, uh, the, the uh, Journal of uh, Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, and uh, it has some metadata on endocrine treatment of transsexual people it's a significant piece of data. It uh, doesn't mention any negative side effects in regards to skeletal wasting or uh, huge loss of muscle mass. There is some size uh, lost. And uh, in regards to another journal, I've looked at the Journal of Sexual Medicine, long-term evaluation of uh, cross-sex hormone treatment in transsexual persons. Uh, basically, the conclusion was that uh, transsexual men do not experience important side effects uh, such as osteoporosis. So there, there will always be a platform in place. The other thing you need to look at is that the there are fluctuations in the hormonal balances of transsexual men uh, based upon health-related uh, balances. When an endocrinologist has to put a regimen ahead to uh, look after a uh, transsexual man that's looking for gender reassignment to a female they have to undertake a, a whole lot of checks and balances for the health of the person which could also be testosterone use uh, at, at certain times so if a hannah mouncey was deemed to be uh, in the correct uh, parameters to play women's football today you're going to have the bizarre situation where another blood test in three months time may not put that person within those parameters so i'm against it i'm strongly against it i don't think it's fair to women's football and i would think about that if it wasn't aflw it was the girls at the seaford tigers versus the vic uni 
uh, footy team, I'd, I'd, I'd have that feeling too. Uh, so uh, basically I've stated that the science doesn't add up. There's a lot of sociological pressure to do this. I must admit, even on the website, I've been shut down out of arguments, just producing scientific arguments because the standard... Um, pressures are placed on anybody that disagrees with this is that you're bullying minorities and things like this. Well, that's certainly not the case. I support transgender people and their right to live their lives how they like. Perhaps if I convey it now in a vocal term, people can get a better context of where I come from rather than my fairly uh, uh, brutal form of writing. I'm pretty to the point when I, when I type stuff out. So uh, it's not that I have any uh, lack of support for these people and their needs and what the, their choices in life, but this is an unfair outcome for women's football. Thanks, fellas. Sorry for reading on so long. No, that that, that was um, that was really really informative and quite interesting. I think uh, you can judge by our silence that it was uh, sort of a, um, I suppose a uh, a really thorough and you know reasoned um, argument. Why you you know why you are against it? I mean, and to me on a on a personal level, I think you know I am all about inclusion, whether you know whether it be you know race, sexuality, um, gender, all that sort of stuff. That's great. I think that's one thing that the AFL does do and quite quite well. Um, I suppose the concerns that I would have as a, as a layman, without any of the any of the information that Snakes just provided is two things. Obviously, are they at a competitive advantage over the other participants? And are, is the is the safety of the participants being compromised? If both of those questions can be proved to me that it's fine, then great. Well, if, if I could just butt in there again, fellas, sorry to interrupt. It all depends who's making that decision, doesn't it, Legrill? If it's going to be a sociologist making that decision, you're not going to get proper medical, uh, <coughs> a proper yeah. medical, scientifically backed up decision, which is the important decision in this case. Sorry yes. to interrupt, fellas. No, no, that's fine. Um, and that, and that's the thing, right? You know, whatever decision's made, I'll, it needs to be made from a place of knowledge. And there's and there's a lot of factors that go into it, and I mean obviously the scientific. And I mean, I'm not too sure. I haven't re- really heard much of many of the current players in the AFLW comment. I don't know what their feelings are on the subject. I, I could have just been ignorant to it. I could have just missed it. Um, but I, one thing I'm very interested in is that considering that all the professional sports across the country, we've got you know women's soccer, we've got women's basketball. Um, particularly um, two sports that um, are quite popular in pockets of the world, um, that this hasn't really become an issue before because I think if it happened over in the States, this would uh, this, this discussion possibly could have happened a long time ago and particularly with the, um, with the, you know, with the scope of the media over, over in those areas, where, whether it be Europe or, um, or, or the States, this could have been addressed. I mean, I know we've had the issues with um, Casa Semenya where there were people, um, you know, people discussing it, but it, it sort of, the discussion always fizzled out. It never really was, um, it was never, nothing really definitive was ever come across. And maybe because there's nothing, there's no definitive proof one way or the other. And whilst you want anybody of any any sort of creed, colour, sexuality, gender to participate, is it a situation where it's just not possible? I mean, that doesn't mean these people should be lost to the game in, in whatever way, and it's not a disrespect on them. But without the definitive knowledge, how do we make a decision one way or the other? I just think it's inclusiveness gone wrong in a sporting sense. That's what I think. Okay. Let's play a game. <laughs> let's play. Let's let's play a game. I have a Richmond players' details here, a North Melbourne players' details, and I have Hannah's details. I want to see if you can guess who is who. Right, you got to guess which one's Hannah. One hundred ninety-three centimeters and ninety-six kilo is option A. 
193 centimetres and 90 kilo is option B. 190 centimetres and 100 kilo is option C. Which one's Hannah? I won't play because I know the answer. Um, go Snake. Well, uh, for the purposes of your uh, where I think you're heading with this, I'd say that yes. the heavy, he- heaviest person was uh, Hannah. I'm uh, uh, Snake. I'm Money the I think you're saying Hannah's bigger than Scotty Thompson. Is that right, mate? That would be true. And Dylan Grimes. Well, there you so go. So Hannah's 100 kilo and 190 centimetres. Now, like I understand, AFL's a game for everybody. And that's, that's where we're encouraging, and I understand that. But i got to say, hats off to Snake with, with um, everything he's put forward. And um, I think sort of what I, the information I had sort of cor- cor- uh, correlates with that as well. Um, and like I said, yeah, you feel like a bit of a bastard when you put these views forward. However, I just think in this case, in a sporting sense, it's, it's inclusiveness gone wrong. I, I don't see the common sense in this decision at all. I'll, and that's just how I feel about it. Uh, I'll go devil's advocate because we need to get the other point across as well. I'm, I'm not sure what thread you've been on uh, snakes. I, I don't know whether you've seen this one or not. But Kirsty, who's uh, gone through the transgender process herself, is a big footy member. He's done a full Q&A and posted photos and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we are looking at actually getting one for a chat at some stage too to get the other side of the story too. But she made some good points about the fact that when she went through it, she was a pretty good league, league rugby player as well. And it took a few years for the muscle to, to drop. And she was at about the 100 kilo mark as well, similar to what Hannah is. But now she's about 58 kilos. So while in the present day, the weight factor probably is an issue... Um, come end of this year, start of next year, the Hannah you see now won't be the Hannah that exists then. It'll be completely different. But this is where it comes back to the law that was created with the IOC apparently had very, very little thought and research put into it, and it's just been a blanket 12-month kind of rule to to base it off, which isn't really realistic because mm-hmm. every case is completely different. Uh, and even Kirsty yeah, yeah. said as well that they need to maybe potentially include things like a muscle mass test and things like that because... While the 12-month thing's great, um, you need to wait that period of time for the muscle mass to actually decrease to make it a bit more safer and, I suppose, a bit more fair, I guess. Um, so I, th- I think there's a place for transgender to play in the women's comp, but I think they need to get the testing and the laws right to make sure it's consistent and as yeah. even as possible. Yep. Absolutely. I have had some interaction with Christy, and Christy, if you listen to this, I wish you all the best with your pursuits in life. Um most of Christie's arguments, nearly all of them actually, that, that I've seen, and, and I haven't seen all of them, I'm sure, are sociologically based arguments and politically based arguments. You're talking about the IOC, the IAAF, these sort of organisations. These are politically spawned and funded organisations. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're not based on hard scientific data. Uh, most of Christie's arguments are sociological. She, she uh, one comment I made today on the thread she does, and I appreciate the effort she goes to to put the information in. Uh, was a professor of philosophy talking about sport, and I thought, well, is it, well, I went and checked that person's CV out. No, no education in even sports science uh, in regards to that. So you've got philosophers and sociologists, and these sort of progressives you know other people have names for this sort of uh, minority ideology that's permeating the political agenda at the moment that are pushing forward this stuff and they've got powerful political lobbying and funding uh, bringing the organizations along with it which i'm sure has uh, influenced the afl for example in hannah mancy's situation i'm sure there's some uh, political uh, lobbying going on there so in re- i've come from the the, the biological and anthropological aspect of this, because that's the reality when two people bang into each other in a contact sport. But hey, Snake, uh, yeah, yes. Ever been hit by a one hundred kilo, one ninety centimetre person on a footy field? Oh, in back alleys too, mate. How'd it feel? <laughs> well, I preferred it when I didn't remember it, mate. But, yeah. But, uh, sometimes yeah. it hurt, and sometimes it didn't, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and I just think I just think uh, I understand what you're saying, Michael's. 
Um, I, I just think it's a rushed, forced decision, and um, I just yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely rushed. I don't think anyone will ever disagree with that. But <clears throat> I think because it has been rushed, I think the AFL are going to come out looking worse for this, um, for the backflip with the original decision to not let her play and now letting her play in one league, but banning her from the draft until the end of next year. They've just, I don't, I don't know, I think they've dug themselves a little bit of a hole here by rushing and not going through the proper process um, yes. to get this all yes. checked off. And that's probably the biggest issue they're going to have. And uh, above all else, and this isn't directed at anyone, but just more in general, the biggest concern that I have about the whole thing is, yes, everyone can agree or disagree with the AFL's decision, and that's fine. But what I'm not a fan of is there's a lot of people out there throwing personal attacks at Hannah and anyone else who's Absolutely, going down that yeah, path and that's what's yeah. Yeah, most cool. annoying that's not called for and like you said Snake they're free to, to live and choose whatever they want to do and we can all debate the AFL's decision that's fine but yeah people need to also accept and understand that they're, they're human like the rest of us as well but I think um, like you know normally most of the um, most of the readers and posters on Big Footy um, will not not even bat an eyelid about knocking the AFL about anything. But in my opinion, I think this situation, they're genuinely in a no-win situation. Whatever whatever they decide is going to be disagreed with, disagreed with, disagreed with. And to be perfectly honest, the only time that I've heard through people either for or against Hannah playing, the only time I've ever heard any actual evidence and research is what Snake just produced. And that is, I think, the avenue we need to go down when discussing this. I mean, it's all well and good, you know, um, putting a joke across or something to get a few likes on Big Footy. I mean, we've all been there. Um, no but, way, man. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I think the time taking, and every time I click into Facebook, you always see these memes these, and really insulting the person. It's not even about, like, we're talking in the sense of, you know, the competition, safety players, all that sort of stuff, which is which is fine. But you're seeing people playing, you know, score, trying to score points of her going through something that psychologically and emotionally, all those kind of things... They're going to, like, you know, it's a hard thing for someone to go through and then to have people take the mickey and, you know, post memes or crude jokes. It's just, it's a bit unseemly in my opinion. I, I don't know how you all think about it, whether I'm, mm. you know, maybe a bit too uptight about the subject. But, I mean, this is a person who has, who was male, who felt that they were always female and has gone through probably having not gone through it, I can't comment, but probably one of the most traumatic decisions leading up to and during the process of a lo- of someone's life. And this, and people are just, you know, trying to score points off that. Uh, that makes me always feel a bit, you know, a bit upset when I see that. But um, I'm, And I'm glad that the people like, you know, CB and Snake, with their arguments, it was based on something more than just unsubstantiated opinion. And that, that was really refreshing. And, but that's what I hope that the um, conversation, whether it be on radio or on TV or in print or even on this site, starts to go down that way, starts to go down research and, you know, the thirst for knowledge and all that sort of stuff. Because we won't know. It'll just be a lot of people going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And we'll never, we'll never know whether it is something or whether it's the other thing. And I mean, I, I get that most of most of the issues in the world today are, are like that. But let's try to get as much information as we can before we start throwing our mouth, um, throwing out comments willy nilly. I, I think that's my personal yeah. Thoughts. Oh, yeah. We cannot yeah. conclude that it's yeah. It's just a whole yep. lot more research needs to go into it going forward. Um, and it's something that the AFL have to address and, and address it properly, and no doubt they will in due course. But um, it's definitely an interesting topic that will keep getting spoken about forever and a day, and I just think the more that we can all learn, the, the better off we're all going to be. So 
No, it was good to, to have, like you said, the facts coming there and the research from Snake, so thank you for bringing that to the table. You're welcome, mate. That, um, that just about finishes off the show, guys. Um, before we go, just a reminder to everyone out there to rate us on iTunes, and if you want to come onto the show for a chat, feel free to inbox myself or Grill. We're happy to have anyone on at any time. Um, and before I let Grill wrap it up, but uh, are you guys looking forward to your grand final next Wednesday night? <laughs> uh, we'll get done by about Wednesday eight girls, I reckon. What's next Wednesday night? Your big grand final, North Melbourne versus Richmond in JLT. <sighs> it shows, shows how much shows how much notice I'd take into the preseason. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not focusing Boys. on the Tigers too much this year. The Carlton blokes have been giving me their shits, reckoning they're three years ahead of us in development. So come round four, that's our grand final. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've just seen a potential threat of the year nomination here, boys, on the main board. Oh, oh, like, the, the, the threat, the threat title is on on the main board. Who will be the first AFL player to do a Black Panther goal celebration? <laughs> when, when you were being serious about Hannah Mouncey, I read it and I was trying not to laugh. <laughs> oh well. I think before this show really depend, uh, descends into a farce, well, if it hasn't already, I think I'll thank um, Captain Blood17 and Snake Baker for their views and their participation in the uh, conversation. It was um, it was a level of civility that I didn't know existed between a North Melbourne and a Tiger supporter. So kudos, boys, for that. And I think Michael's going to wrap her up. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on and hopefully we'll come back with a few more frequent episodes in the coming weeks and yeah, thanks again to Snake and Captain Blood for coming on. We weren't sure how this was all going to pan out, but very, very constructive and positive episode. So thank you both very much for coming on and it should be all unedited. Clean as a whistle. So very well played, everyone. Hashtag well north! <laughs> <laughs> Snake, you have a Just got edited. <laughs> 